Morning, church. Let me encourage you to take your Bibles and to find Acts chapter 8, and we'll be reading in verse 26 in just a moment. Acts chapter 8. Go and be the church. Jesus is going. Before we get started, before I read the scripture, in about um, two weeks now, I think, we are going to have an uh, opportunity for you to be involved in a 167-hour prayer meeting. Uh, those of you who were here last year, you'll remember that as a church, we set our a week aside to pray for 167 hours. Not, not here all at once, but one by one by one, we would come to the auditorium, signing up for a specific time, and we would come in, and there were, there were places to stop in the auditorium, and we would stop at each of those seven locations, many of the people finding that with the prayer guide, that they could spend more than an hour here easily. Many would come back and do it again. And so I want to encourage you to sign up. Uh, we're calling this Seeking Him Together. The sign up is in the lobby. Uh, you go straight behind me into the next building, and you can sign up there. And um, we're just asking you to sign up for one hour. Uh, if you're a night owl, you can't sleep at night anyway, I can't think of a better way to spend it than to come up here and pray. Uh, we will provide you with a prayer guide. There will be security here in the sense of someone watching the door, watching your back as you come in and pray. You don't have to worry. There may be more than one person in here at a time. That's okay. But uh, someone will be paying attention to who's coming and going. And, uh, and if you've never been part of a prayer chain like that, this is an opportunity to do it. Why are we doing that? Dear ones, there are some things that are simply not going to happen unless we pray together as a church in a concerted way. And, and the Lord knows we have needs as a church family. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of this effort. If you absolutely cannot be here uh, physically during that week, we do have a notebook there. You can sign in and say, I'm going to be praying at home at a certain time. And you can fill that out also at that same sign-up table. So one way or another, we invite you to participate in a 167-hour prayer meeting. So two weeks from the day, uh, right at about this time, we're going to have the first person start praying. They're going to lead us in prayer just before I preach. And then they'll go off into um, another room, and they'll be praying there. And then we will conclude a week later... And the last person in the chain will close the service or close out that, that week of prayer uh, just as I begin to preach again. So literally nonstop prayer for 167 hours. I believe this pleases the Lord. I believe it delights Him when we seek Him together. And I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Well, this morning, as we read from Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26, um, we are reading about a very specific moment in the life of an individual, it was also a moment in the life of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, the church was being persecuted, and the people in that earliest church were being forced out of their, their city where they lived, and they were going everywhere. And one of those who was scattered went to a place called Samaria. His name was Philip. Uh, Philip had already come up in the scripture in Acts chapter 6. He was one of the earliest perhaps one of the very first deacons. The Bible says he was full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. And God used him and six other men to avert division in the church, to help bring unity in the church. 
And, and so Philip reappears here in Acts chapter 8. And so he has been preaching in Samaria. There has been this incredible response to the gospel. It was as good as any Billy Graham meeting at any time in history. Thousands of individuals came to know Christ. And in the midst of that, our story picks up in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, this is desert, meaning there's nothing there. So he is, he is in Samaria, north of Jerusalem, and he's being told to leave that region and go to a place south of Jerusalem. He arose and went, it says in verse 27, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him, and the place in the scripture which he read was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth. And by the way, that is a, from Isaiah chapter 53. I encourage you to read it. It is the clearest description of what Jesus did on the cross that you'll find in the Old Testament. It was as clear a presentation of the gospel as you could find in the Old Testament. And that's what this man happened to be reading. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Obviously, they talked about what it means to trust Jesus, what it means to follow him, how to announce to everyone that you're a follower. You do that through baptism. Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Father, we thank you for your word. We acknowledge today the power that it has to completely transform our hearts. With your Holy Spirit, enable us to hear what you're saying to us as your family, as your people. Father, we know as we gather today that we live in a nation full of hurt and worry and fear. There's been national tragedy this week. We know there have been tragedies locally that have, that have been unthinkable and that have caused us to pause and wonder at the evil in the world. And that we have experienced tragedy in our own church family. And Father, we know you're the one who heals a broken heart. So we ask you to come. We pray you would enter in. That is why we are here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
When Jesus was walking the earth, what was the most important thing that was happening on the earth at that time? Well, I would say anything Jesus was doing and saying was the most important thing, wouldn't you? I mean, if Jesus is physically on the earth, what's the most important thing happening on the earth? Whatever he's doing. And, and we know that what he was doing was preaching and teaching and healing, but he came and he made it very clear that he was coming on a rescue mission. I am come to seek and save that which was lost. And so the Father had sent Jesus into the world, and his priority was you and me. His mission was to come after you and me. So what is Jesus doing in the world today? Is he doing anything in the world today? And if he is doing something, what's the most important thing happening in the world today? Whatever Jesus is doing. Now, some don't believe Jesus is doing a thing, but they don't understand the Scripture if they say that, because what Jesus did was change his his process, his approach, but he hasn't changed his mission, and he's using us. We are the sent ones. We are his hands and feet. We are the Spirit-filled body of Christ, and he is still working today just as he did in the New Testament. And he accomplishes that task through you and me. Well, Philip is an example of that. God had something he wanted to accomplish in in an individual's life, and he he works through a man named Philip to be his hands, his feet, his mouth, his message to go and reach that individual man. Can I just tell you that every day with Jesus is an adventure? That if if you're not following Christ, you're missing the very best that God has for you. You know, if you were to interview one of the 12 disciples that followed Jesus around, they would say, you know, when we followed him, we never knew what was going to happen next. It was like watching somebody wire a house with the electricity on. You didn't know when it was going to happen, but you knew something was going to happen. One day he's walking on the water. One day a big crowd shows up. He feeds them with one little basket. Other times he... He cast demons out of people. We thought they were just sick. They were demonized, and he cast demons out. You just never knew what he was going to say and do next. It was a great adventure. You know, that's still the adventure he offers to you and I today. Then when we follow him, you just never know what a day holds. And I want us to think carefully today about what it means to go where Jesus is going. As individuals and as a church. What does it mean to go where Jesus is going? I want to share with you four things. His unfolding plan for me and somebody else. It means entering his unfolding plan for me and someone else. In verse 29, and this is really the verse that that just stands out to me. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. Now there's a specific plan in play here. It involved Philip. And a man Philip had never met. Now, who was the author of that plan? Well, the Holy Spirit was behind that plan. He's the one that's doing the speaking. He's the one that's doing the leading. So Philip scrapped his plans, and he left Samaria. Now, I know right now that that was a a miracle from God, because no preacher in his right mind would have left Samaria, where all these thousands of people are coming to Christ, 
and gone out in the middle of nowhere. But that's what Philip did because he was living his life as an extension of the life of Christ and not for himself. So he scrapped his plans. There was a specific plan at play. Now, he has a plan for your life and mine. Every person here that knows Jesus, he has a very specific plan for you. Every bit as specific as the one he had for Philip. Now, I've referenced this scripture before, but I want to slow down just a little bit and read Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Now, for whatever it's worth, this particular passage of scripture, by the way, was the one that God used to bring me to himself. Uh, when I read this, these verses, the Holy Spirit used it to literally change my life. And um, I don't have time to tell my story, but, but this was a key passage for me. Verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Grace means something you do not earn or deserve. It means something that's a gift. For by grace you have been saved through faith. We, we receive it through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we're not saved by means of works, but we are saved by the instrumentality of faith. And faith is what we use to receive this gift of salvation. So when a person understands that Jesus Christ died for their sins, that there's nothing I can do to make up for my own sins, that I can't carry my sins away, I'm guilty of my sins. But Jesus died on the cross, and in doing that, he took the punishment my sins deserve. He carried those sins away, and he lived the life I can never live for myself. He pleased God with every breath he ever took. He did everything that the Father had in mind for him to do, and he was everything the Father wanted him to be. Now, when I trusted Jesus Christ, I received forgiveness, but I also received the righteousness of Jesus Christ as a gift. Everything that was required of me by the law of God, by the perfection of God, by the holiness of God, everything required of me, Jesus has already done. But when I trusted Jesus Christ, he gave me his gift of righteousness, and I cannot add to it for me can do to be any more acceptable to God than what Jesus has already accomplished for me. And that's true of every person here that's trusted Jesus. We receive salvation as a gift. Now what happens next is what I want you to see, verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Whose workmanship? His, not ours. Created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Does that sound like a plan? It is a plan. God has things for you to do, specific things for you to do as a unique individual follower of Jesus Christ. He has things for you to do. Yeah, he has things for me to do. I'm a pastor he has things for Mike to do and Dustin to do. They're pastors. He has things for deacons to do. They're deacons. He has things for Sunday school teachers. They're Sunday school teachers. But dear one, he has something for you to do if you're a Christian. And so he has this plan. And this plan involves good works. Now, why is it important that we think about good works? I don't do good works in order to be saved. If I read that passage carefully, it says, after I'm saved, I am his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. The good works are part of the plan he has for me after I'm saved. 
And so I don't do the works to, to earn or merit salvation. But boy, once you're saved, God has works for you to do. God has a plan for you. He has things for you to do, and he wants you to do them, and he wants to use you to accomplish those things. So why? Why is it important that you and I be involved in what are called good works? I want to call your attention to another familiar verse. Matthew 5, verse 16. This is Jesus speaking. He says, let your light so shine before men. Now listen, the light is not your work. The light is who you are. The light is the Spirit of God in you. The presence of Jesus in you. He says, let your light, your new life, let it so shine before men that they may see your good works. There it is. And do what? And glorify you? No, that's right. Glorify your Father in heaven. So he wants you, you have this new life in you. He wants us to live it in such a way that people see the good works and the consequence of seeing the good works is that they turn and they, they see what God's done in your life. They see the good works and they turn and they say, bless God. Bless God. There's something different about this person. They may not have the words to describe it, but they're seeing a supernatural influence in your life and they can only attribute it to God. And so the purpose of the good works, the purpose of the plan of God is that as you work in this plan, as you become part of the plan that God has for you, the end result of it is other people notice and God gets the glory for it. Not you. Not a church. But him. Now, when Jesus and Paul referred to a good work, what does a good work look like? I think sometimes people get caught up in good works and they're still in that earning mode. You know what I mean? Uh, I try to be a good Christian person. I don't do certain things. I do other things and I do these things because this is what Christians are supposed to do. That is not the good works that we're talking about. The good work that we're talking about is when God leads you to do something and you are right in the middle of his plan for your life. When Jesus and Paul referred to a good work, what do they look like? Uh, Paul describes it in 1 Timothy 5. Verse 9, listen. And this was the way they took care of widows in that day and time. There was no Social Security. If you were a Jewish woman and you were part of the synagogue and you had no family, the synagogue took care of that widow financially, materially. And so the church was stepping into that role of taking care of people who had no other kind of support. And this is what he says. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man. Well reported for good works. There it is. Now watch. What do these good works look like? If she has brought up children. Amen? Ladies, you should say amen. Is that not a good work? I mean, if you got children, that's part of the plan of God for your life. And she's brought up children. If she has lodged strangers... That's hospitality. If she has washed the saints' feet, served them. If she has relieved the afflicted. If she has diligently followed every good work. And, and so it's describing a way of life. If you go on into Acts, there's a lady named Tabitha that, uh, that dies and, and God uses Peter to raise her from the dead. And she's described as a widow who did good works. She, she literally made 
articles of clothing to help keep people warm. And, and so these are the kind of works that Jesus was talking about and that Paul's talking about. Now, why are these activities considered good works? And I think now it's going to make sense. Titus chapter 3, verse 14 really pulls it together. Paul's writing to Titus. He says, and let our people, who's our people? Christians, you and me. Okay? You're my people. I'm your people. Our people. Let our people also learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs. There it is. To maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. So God has a plan for every Christian. That plan is that he received glory by our good works. What are those good works? Those good works are very simply God leading you to meet urgent needs. Urgent needs. That's what was happening to Philip. And, um, and there are people all around you with needs. And if you are in a place like a, a pastor or a leader, you look around you, you see more needs than you can possibly meet. I mean, how do you process that? Um, and what's worse is that there are needs that you can't even see. This man riding in this chariot out in the middle of nowhere, no one on earth knew what his need was. No one on earth knew what his need was. And all around us, there are people that have needs. We don't know anything about their needs. Some of you are sitting here in the pew this morning. You have needs. No one around you knows the needs you have. And, um, but God does. In Corinth, one night, Paul was, had gone to Corinth to preach a gospel. The last two places he had stopped, he had been beaten, ridiculed, humiliated. It had been a bad scene. And he went to Corinth, and Corinth was one of the most morally corrupt cities in the Roman Empire. And, and he had just been kicked out of the finest religious institution in that city, the Jewish synagogue. He'd gotten kicked out. They didn't want to hear the gospel. And so on that particular night, the Bible says in Acts 18, verse 9, now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. Now Paul didn't know God had many people in the city, but God knew. I want you to look at something. Look at this. This is a, um, this is a satellite view of the part of northeast Arkansas where you and I live, where most of us work, where most of us commute, where if I'm going to work or play, a lot of us, we do it in this general vicinity. This is the northeast Arkansas that you and I live in. Now, God knows all the needs of every person in that satellite picture. Every one of them. There are thousands of people that you're looking at. I don't know exactly what date this picture was taken, but you're in there somewhere, more than likely. And there are thousands of people there. Now, I want you to see an overhead of the city of Wynn. And, um, and if you look in the right side there, our top central, you see that circle? Everybody see the circle? Say, I see it. I see it. Thank you. That is where you and I are sitting right now. 
Now, is that the church? That's a trick question. What's the church? Us. We're the church. Now, we happen to be in that building right now, but most of the time, where are we? We're all over that map, aren't we? We're all over the town of Wynn, or we're in that larger picture, or if you're traveling out of the area, you're, in, you're somewhere else. But, but you're scattered, you're dispersed. Now, let's say that there's a person in a particular house right now, Sunday morning, February 18, 2018, that has an urgent need, and it's represented by that arrow on the screen. You see that? Now, do you know about that need? Well, unless you know where that address is and you happen to know the person living there and they've been honest with you and transparent, you may or may not know what that need is. But God does. And, and you know what? His mission has not changed. Jesus is on a mission to seek and save that which was lost, not to sit in a building And so most of the time, you and I are going about our business, going about our day, and as we encounter people, sometimes we look at it and say, oh, I ran into so-and-so at Walmart. I ran into so-and-so at the post office. I ran into so-and-so. Those are not accidents. We believe that God is at work in our life and in the life of someone else because he has a plan, and when we have those intersections with people, God wants to accomplish something in those encounters, sometimes far more than you ever imagined. Now, if God wants to meet the need of the person in the house under that arrow, how is he going to accomplish that through this congregation of people? Well, he's going to do it this way. He's not necessarily going to put the need on the whole church. He is going to put the need on somebody. He is going to put it in somebody's heart, and you're either going to run into that person like Philip ran into a guy in the desert, or you're going to actually know them and encounter them, and, and, and because you were alert and you were listening, in the course of that conversation, you realize they had an urgent need, but, but you become the hands of Jesus, the feet of Jesus, the mind of Jesus, the heart of Jesus in that moment, because he has a plan both for you and someone else. And that's what was walking the earth. And listen, God has not changed his plan. Jesus is still walking the earth. Jesus walks in wind. When you and I go out the door, Jesus is walking in wind, Arkansas. So Jesus is saying to us in this church, I have other people in this city. What does it mean to go where Jesus is going? Number one, it means entering his plan. Secondly, It means expecting him to lead me in steps. And we talked about this a year ago when we studied experiencing God together. God does not lead us with maps. He leads us in steps. Again, in verse 29, then the Spirit said to Philip, go near, there's a step, and overtake this chariot. He had to run. I don't know if you've noticed it, but most of the time chariots move faster than me. They moved faster than you, and so he had to, he had to run. But these were, these were steps. When, when Philip, Philip's way of life is different than the average Christian's way of life. When they had that problem in the church in Acts chapter 6 that needed to be resolved, they chose, they turned to the church and they said, we want you to choose from among you seven men who are filled up with the Spirit of God. 
And to be filled with the Spirit means to be Spirit-controlled, to be directed by Him where He can communicate to you and you receive that direction. And so, and so He was this kind of Spirit-controlled or filled person. And if the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, you are fully prepared for everything God wants to do in your life today. He can direct you wherever He wants you to go. He will give you what to say. He will guide you in what with them. You don't need anything else. Walk the earth and the Gospels. You have everything you need. He is sufficient. Now, Philip, when this happened, and he was taking these step by steps, he left Samaria. Listen, when he left Samaria, he didn't know where he was going. He didn't set out and saying, today, I'm going to evangelize an African eunuch in a chariot out in the middle of nowhere. He didn't know he was going to meet a eunuch in a chariot in the middle of nowhere. In fact, if he went based on his recent experience, he might have been expecting to go to another community and have another mass movement of God. In fact, he may not even notice the chariot because it was just one chariot in the middle of nowhere. He, he, he said, no, the way God works with me is I'm a big-time evangelist, and what he does is he takes me to a particular town, and I preach, and they just come. They just come. But Philip wasn't operating that way. Philip was spirit-dominated. He was spirit-directed. He was spirit-led. And so he goes out in the middle of nowhere. He has no preconception of what God's about to do. So he wasn't going there to evangelize that man. He was just going. And then when that moment came, step by step, he knew what was to happen next. The destination is never predetermined by your past experiences. The Holy Spirit in you is going to lead you often in the places that are new. To do things in ways that you've never done before. He is not a creature of habit. He is making you a new creation. And just about everything he does with you is going to be different than the last time. The Holy Spirit, he works in this way. He doesn't go by your past. He doesn't go by the way you did it in the past. He goes by his plan. And his plan belongs to him. So what does it mean to go where Jesus is going? It means entering his plan. Secondly, it means expecting him to lead me in steps. And let me pause before I go to number three. I just need to underscore this again. So many times you and I get hung up because I don't know what God wants me to do with my life. What he wants you to do with your life is to give your life to Christ. He wants you, your first call is to himself. He wants you to know him. He wants you to enjoy him. He wants you to love him and receive his love. That is your primary calling. And, and in, that, in that calling... You learn to hear him. You learn to walk with him. And so what he's going to do with you is he's going to lead you in steps. I challenge you in Scripture to find where God gave a map to every individual and said, this is what I'm going to do with you the rest of your life. Even Paul didn't have the particulars. He knew generally what God was doing. He didn't know specifically. And as the time came closer for different things, sometimes the Holy Spirit gave him um, hence gave him some sense of what was coming, but Paul walked step by step by step, and if we had time, I could prove it to you. 
But dear one, do not expect the next five steps in your life. Expect the next single step in your life. When you ask God, when you're praying, when you're seeking him, you don't need to know the next five. You just need to know the next one. And he is never late. He'll tell you when you need to know. Third thing, what does it mean to go where Jesus is going? It means obeying him immediately. Obeying him immediately. In verse 26, now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Now look at this. So he arose and went. No hesitation. Immediately. As soon as he understood what the Spirit was saying, he did it. Now look at verse 29. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So what did he do? He didn't say, you know, hang on, i got to change and put on my running shoes. I mean, he didn't hesitate. Right out the door, right away, it says, so he ran to him. Immediate obedience without delay is vital if you're going to walk with God. There are opportunities that will be missed if you and I don't respond immediately. And um, sometimes these are big things, sometimes they're small things. I would not get into a a dark, uh, introspective, waste of life posture where I try to go back and look at all the times I miss God. Listen, that's not where he wants to take you this morning. He wants to take you to the next step this morning. The past is past. You can do nothing about it. But what matters today is what is the Lord saying to you today? And as soon as you recognize that God is speaking, do the next thing. Don't hesitate. You want the adventure? Get on board. Say yes to Jesus. Whatever he's saying to you, say yes. Go. Go now. Do it now. Don't wait. You say, well, pastor, I'm not sure. Well, he'll clarify it to you. And listen, as you get older, as you walk with him longer, it will be more obvious directing you is something you cultivate. And so there'll be some times you nail it. There'll be times when you miss it. The times you miss it help you nail it more in the future. He does speak to us. He does lead us. He does guide us. So when you have that sense of oughtness that you ought to call somebody, pick up the phone. When you have that oughtness, you ought to bake a dish, go by and drop it off at somebody's house, go. When you have that sense of oughtness that you're to pray for someone right now, pray for them right now. Um, and as you do that more and more, you'll recognize those promptings, those nudges from the Holy Spirit when they come. Let me give you two quick small examples. i I thought about this a lot, and I don't offer these because I am more spiritual or further advanced than anybody else here. I, I know some of you are extremely sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and so I don't mention these examples to set myself up as somehow superior to anybody else here. But here are two small examples, small ones. They're small. This past Tuesday morning, there's a, there's a gentleman that I have, have been encouraging and praying with for some time. And he is out of work. And, and so on uh, Tuesday morning, I was praying for him. And as God brings him to mind, I pray for him right then, whenever God brings him to mind. And that morning, he brought him to mind. And I also felt strongly that I ought to send him a note. And so I texted him. You know, the Holy Spirit uses text messages. He uses all kinds of ways to communicate. If we can communicate that way, he'll use it. And so I texted him. I just said, brother, I just want you to know I'm praying for you today and I'm lifting you up to our Father. And that's really all I said. It wasn't 
15 seconds, I get a text back from him. Can I call you? And I answer the phone, and the first thing, first words out of his mouth was, Don, I thank God that you keep praying for me. He said, I'm not sure anybody else is. Second example. Um, this morning, this morning, I couldn't use a lot of examples. You've got to understand I can't be real specific and use names, um, and that's why I couldn't use a lot of examples of what goes on here in our church week after week after week. Good things that God is doing. Um, but I have a friend who's going through a physical crisis. His whole world is upended because of the physical things that are happening in his life. And, um, and so I've been praying for him. And so uh, this particular morning, actually for the last two or three days, I haven't been able to get him off my mind. He's come to mind again and again. And I know when God brings someone to mind, I need to at least pray for them. And, and so I would pray for him again and again and again and again. This morning, I just, I just felt very strongly impressed. I needed to send a note. You know, it's Sunday morning. I, I'm supposed to be, you know, putting the final touches on, on my notes and praying about the service. And I spent a couple hours this morning not even thinking about the service. Just God had some things on my heart, and he was talking to me, and, and I was praying about this individual, so I sent a note. And, um, and his wife responded because he's not able to, to handle his phone. And um, she shared the message with him, and he said, thank you. He said, I'll, I'm going to talk to you later. And then she wrote a note. She wrote a note. She said, thank you. Today, this morning, right now, he is sad. Now, I didn't get up this morning saying, you know, I'm going to time this just right. I'm going to send a note to somebody exactly when they need it sent. I'm going to call somebody exactly when they need someone to call. Or I'm going to go see someone exactly when they need me to go see them. But I want you to hear from that, that when God speaks to you and me, when you know it's him or you even suspect it's him, dear one, go all in. Follow him. Do it now. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Remember those disciples? <laughs> Following Jesus is an adventure. You never know what he's going to do next. Simply follow him in all the moments. What does it mean to go where Jesus is going? It means entering his plan, expecting him to lead you in steps, obeying him right now. And then finally, number four, it means trusting him to meet the need. Trusting him to meet the need. Remember that God has a plan. That plan is about you doing certain things in that plan, timed, perfectly, empowered. How? By him. He's doing the leading, he's doing the directing, he's doing the empowering. Look at verse 29. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? You see, Philip understood all these steps. He finally got it. All these steps, and the Spirit says, go near it. Why? Just to outrun a chariot? No, he knew there was somebody in that chariot. He knew God had a plan, and he had been sent to intersect the life of the man in that chariot. Now, did he know what he was going to do? Did he know what he was going to say? No. 
This guy's reading out loud. By the way, when they read Scripture or when they read anything in that day and time, they read out loud. Silent reading was, was not the ancient practice. Silent praying was typically not the ancient practice. Reading out loud, praying out loud. So this guy's reading. And, and Philip, he knows what he's reading. And he says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And almost immediately the guy says, how can I unless someone guides me, unless someone explains it to me? And as you and I go out, we're going to encounter people with all kinds of needs. And these needs are urgent. And sometimes these needs are, will far outstrip our human ability to meet the need. But you know who sent you there to address that need? God Almighty. And He is sufficient. And Christ in you is sufficient. And Christ present in that conversation is sufficient to meet the need that that person has. And that's what was happening in this conversation. We want to go to a church that meets our needs. Jesus is building a church that meets the needs of others. That's the difference between the church that we're in today in North America and the church Jesus wants to build. Listen, following Jesus into the needs of others is not high-pressure evangelism. I want you to hear that. A lot of you say, you know, where's Chris? Chris, is he in here? Chris Ross, he sells cars. You know, he knows other people that sells cars. Uh, sometimes we say, you know, you go into a car lot, I'm just going to resist. You know, whatever. In high-pressure situations, sometimes we, we've come to believe that when I share the gospel with someone, that I'm using the same kind of high-pressure techniques. I'm trying to get somebody who is resistant, and I'm trying to, to, to force something onto them. And that is not at all what happened here, is it? This man had a need. He had been to Jerusalem. That need had not been met. The temple, the temple system, all those priests that were there had not met his need. He was still needy. He was still reading the Scripture. He had questions. He had a heart hunger in his soul that God had put in that soul. I don't know where those people are around me on any given day. But I know if God says, go near and overtake this chariot, that God is more than likely prepared a soul that has a heart hunger, and if I spend enough time with that person following God's lead in that relationship, that heart hunger is going to become obvious to me in time. Following Jesus means you will feel inadequate before the needs of others. You are going to feel inadequate. You're going to come across people, they're going to have problems, they're going to have needs, you're going to listen to it, and on the inside you're going, I have not a clue how to help this person. I am absolutely clueless. I am inadequate. And that alone will keep many of us from getting involved in the kind of obedience to the Spirit that we're describing here. Because we feel inadequate. Listen, you are inadequate. I am inadequate. You can go to school for 100 years, you're still going to be inadequate. Because God alone is the one who can satisfy the deepest needs of a human heart. And so I may start with that person's need, and I may love on them, and I may listen to their heart, but the thing I want to do is as fast as I can, I want to take them to Jesus. I want to help them know Christ. I want to help them learn to hear Him when they read the Scripture, to talk to Him in prayer. 
And as they meet Christ, I can leave them with Jesus, and I know they're in good hands. So let me close by pointing this out, that as you go out from here, this is maybe homework. You know when you came this morning, you're going to get homework. You know, wherever Jesus went, as he walked around the earth, wherever he went, I don't know if you've noticed it, but it seems like Jesus always ran into the same kinds of people. Always got into these amazing conversations with needy people. And I can summarize those people in two ways, in the two, two groups. Two kinds of people Jesus always intercepted. First of all, seeking people who need direction to Jesus. They have questions about God. All around us, we got people who have questions. They've been reading the Bible like this man was reading the Bible. They don't understand it. They're not interested in church. They're not interested in being Baptist or whatever. They're not interested in that, but they got questions about God. And so they're seeking people who need direction to Jesus. And, um, and then there are hurting people who need relief from Jesus. Jesus did heal the sick. Jesus did cast demons out. Jesus did provide that direct ministry to people. And listen, if that's what Jesus wants to do with you today, this afternoon, I'm all for it. I'm your pastor. I'm going to say, go get them, tiger. Man, if God's going to use you to heal somebody, praise the Lord. If you get up here and start charging tickets, I don't think that's of God. But Jesus ran into seeking people who needed direction, hurting people who needed relief. He always ran into those kinds of people. Now, now reason with me just a moment. If you are serious about following Jesus Christ, it stands to reason that Jesus is going to the same kinds of people in Wynn, Arkansas today. Seeking people who need direction to God, hurting people who need relief from God. So if I'm serious about following Jesus... Yeah, read your Bible. Yes, pray. Yes, get involved in church. Yes, plant your life in a small group. But listen, Jesus, what's he going to do? He's going to have you on an intercept course with all the seeking and hurting people that he can put you around. Have you ever talked to somebody who just seems to have the gift of connecting with people? You know, there are real spiritual gifts of evangelism. There are people who have that. And you listen to these people, and it seems like every day they run into somebody and they talk to them about Jesus. And you go, man, they're just like a little Billy Graham just walking around. And I can't be like them. Listen, it's not about who they are. It's about who Jesus is. And if you follow him, he will lead you to those individuals in the course of your life, in the course of your week, in the course of your day. It may be one conversation. It may be a lifetime of conversations. But when you and I meet somebody it is a high and holy moment, and we should not take it lightly. We should consider the possibility that this person that I'm talking to, that I'm meeting for the first time or for the 200th time, that this person that I'm meeting is a divine appointment that God has planned, and he is going to enable me in some way through his life in me to meet an urgent need this person has. When you came here today, and you hear me talking about seeking people and hurting people, you may say, you know, that's me. I'm one that's come here today, and I've got answers. I came with a friend. I came with a family member, but I've got questions. 
And you are here, friend, not by accident. God had a purpose in bringing you here. And listen, what I put up there on the, on the picture, that house with the little arrow on it, that arrow is right on you right now. You say, how, how do you know that, Pastor? Because Jesus told a story one time. He said, look, the kingdom of God, the way God works is like a shepherd. The Bible says that the shepherd heart of God gets up and leaves the crowd, leaves the building, leaves where everybody's sitting together, and he goes to where the red arrow is. He goes to where that one person is who desperately needs him, who desperately needs to hear from him, who desperately needs to know him. That's where the father heart, the shepherd heart of God goes. And you're here today, and I want you to know that the, the God who is a shepherd, the God who is a father, he has come after you. He is after you now. Not to hurt you, not to harm you, but to change your life. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. I invite you to give your life to Jesus. I invite you to follow him in just the way I've been describing. I invite you to trust him to forgive you for your sins. I invite you to trust that he's going to give you everything necessary to live the life that he has called you to live. He wants to change you. He wants to make you a new person. And so when we stand and sing, I invite you, whether you're in the balcony or downstairs, to come front, the pastors and I'll be standing down front. It would be our joy, our privilege to answer your questions, just like Philip did with that African man in a chariot out in the middle of nowhere. Christian, as I've been talking this morning, has God brought someone to your mind? That maybe as I was talking about people who are seeking, people who are hurting, God brought a name to mind. God brought a face to mind. You know who it is. He may do that tomorrow. He may do that Tuesday. He may do that Wednesday. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? He's building a church that goes out and meets needs. He wants to pull you into that plan he already has for you. And he's got things for you to do, unique to you as a unique individual. What are you going to do with those promptings when they come?